Spro, I want to apologize. There's there's going to be a, a lot of edits on this one. Hi, and welcome back to Second Chance Cinema with MC and Spro. I'm neither of them. I'm Rudy, your review reader. And today I'm going to be reading the review for Pihu. Now, before I start, I just want to sincerely apologize to anybody mentioned in this review as I proceed to butcher your names. I'm really sorry. Written by Alaka Shahani for the Indian Express. Home Alone, almost. Vaidnad Capri's thriller Pihu centers on the havoc that Eagle can create in a picture-perfect family. It features only one actor, a two-year-old girl. On the red carpet, before entering the auditorium for Vaidnad Kapari's directed Pihu, which opened the feature section of Indian Panorama earlier this week, several cameras are trained on Myra Vishwakarma. The five-year-old is repeatedly asked if she's excited about her movie screening. She refuses to look up. Instead, she focuses on the chocolate wafers that she is holding. Nearly two years ago, Myra had shot for this edge-of-the-seat thriller in which she plays the titular role. Pihu is the second feature film of Capri, who made his debut with shit, Miss Tanakpur Hazir Ho in 2015. When Capri first met Myra at a gathering, she was three months shy of two. The journalist turned filmmaker was moved by a real-life incident and wanted to show the perils of modern living through the story of a small child. For me, it was love at first sight. I knew this is the child I was looking for to play my protagonist. The next day I discussed the plans with her parents, Purna Sharma and Rohit Vishwakarma, who gave their consent, says Capri. The film took over six months to start rolling as Capri had production-related issues such as budget and sets to sort out. He would visit Myra, who is fondly called Pihu, every other day to spend time with her. Although he had a script ready, he started to tweak it based on her behavioral patterns. He approached a number of production houses, but no one was convinced. Most of them would question me, how am I going to hold the attention of the audience for a hundred minutes with only one actor who is a child? I was worried over the delay as the girl was growing up. I wanted to make the film with her before she turned three, he says. Finally, Capri's friend, Kishin Kamur, came on board as the producer. Myra was two years and six months old at the time. With a budget of, I don't even know if this is a sentence, dude. With a budget of R's 45 lakh, they started shooting for the film. <laughs> With the budget of R's 45 lakh, they started shooting the film. The biggest challenge of making Pihu was to create the right kind of environment for Myra to enact the scenes. The team rented a flat for the filming. For over two months, Myra with her parents moved there. We gave her time to acquaint herself with the space as well as the crew. We would shoot for two hours a day. There were three cameras placed on set because you can't ask a two-year-old to give you another take. The toys that you see in the film all belong to Myra, says the writer-director. People assume that Pihu will be a sweet movie since there is a child as the protagonist. It is a dark and disturbing story. Well, I'm excited to hear about this film. And without further ado, here's MC and Spro. What would you get 
if you crossed the loose premise of Home Alone with the tension from the Russian roulette scene in The Deer Hunter, you would get the movie we're about to talk about. And I don't even know where to begin, honestly, because this is a movie... You know what? I'm going to begin with a confession. I have not watched this movie since I saw it for the first time, which was probably a couple years ago. I didn't rewatch it for this episode because it is seared into my brain. It's got its own little cavity inside my gray matter where nothing else exists except the visceral response to this movie. Before we get into the actual movie, let's introduce who's here with us today. My uh, my host and uh, one of my best friends, Spro. How are you? I'm doing good. How are you? Uh, I'm, I'm good. Last week, you and I had an adventure. We went to see the Jurassic World live tour together, <laughs> which was basically like ice capades kind of, but without the ice and with the Jurassic World license behind it puppets and stunts and things like that. I had a wonderful time. Um, oh my gosh, it was super cool. And the cool thing was that it was it was canon. So it was it that, took place, you know. Yeah, it took place in between the first Jurassic World and the second one maybe, I think. We figured out. Yeah. Okay. Well, the prologue was even like during Jurassic World. Right. Okay. Yeah. So we saw a lot of uh, exhausted fathers there with their children <laughs> wrangling, paying $15 for snow cones shaped like dinosaurs. Um, Watching the Guardians game on their phones. Yep. And, uh, you know, we just kind of sat back, relaxed and enjoyed the dinosaurs. Did you, I think I tagged you, one of our friends, like as we're watching the Jurassic World live, we're like, this is really scary for kids. And then somebody on Facebook, one of our friends, mutual friends said that was the most expensive snow cone I ever had because she had to walk her kid out after 10 minutes because the kid was petrified. Oh, I bet. Remember we were saying like the kids down in the front row, like that would scar me probably. It, it would either, it would go one or two ways. It would scar me for life or it would be the coolest thing that ever happened to me. Right. And there's no in between. But we digress. Also with us today, a special guest and friend of the show, Lee Charles. Lee, how are you? Oh, I am. I be. The movie that we're going to talk about today is called Pihu. It's a movie that you've probably never heard of. And to be honest, I don't recall the exact events surrounding when I did watch it, other than the fact that, and I can sort of piece this together from memory, other than the fact that I believe I came home on Saturday, which is when I volunteer at the dog shelter. My wife was watching it and she was just sort of like glued to the TV and it wasn't her typical fare. So I was just kind of like, what are you doing? And she acknowledged me, but she was completely engrossed with this movie. So I just set my stuff down, walked in and caught the movie like probably, I don't know, maybe 10, 15 minutes after it began. But I jumped in right at the moment of what the fuck is going on and was just completely strangled by it from my beginning to the film's end. Spro, your thoughts on your maiden voyage with this movie? All things considered, you know, we are talking about this movie now. We just talked about it for Spro and Lee Take on the Academy's horror episode. I have now watched this three times. Oh my God. The first time, and it's streaming on Netflix now for free. We should point that out. And it's been on Netflix for a long while because the first time I watched it was on Netflix and you told me to watch it for probably season two. And we just never got around to it for season two. So here we are in season three with one of the quickest turnarounds we will ever have. It was based on your suggestion. And it's so like, it's funny because I think this is the second time I heard that it was your wife who discovered it. And have have you ever talked to her and be like, how did you? Because if I saw this on Netflix, I'd be like, there's a movie, you know, and I would have mm. passed right by it. But I like, don't think what? Like, what, what, 
like what enticed what, her to watch it. I don't yeah, think like so. what drew her into the wardrobe. Of as he who as and as a matter of fact, like I I think I mentioned to her that we talked about it for Spro and Lee, and she kind of was like, oh yeah, I remember that movie. Like it definitely did not scar her the way it scarred me. And the reason for that, uh, the many reasons we'll get into, but it's just a premise that is so simple yet so it's almost like a butterfly effect kind of thing. Not the movie, but the actual effect where like one thing can go wrong. One small like infinitesimal thing can go wrong and just tragedy and chaos could ensue. Lee Charles, your thoughts on your first go round with Pihu. Yeah, it was, um, it's just, it's, it's difficult. It's difficult to watch. <laughs> and we talked about this on, on our show. I, I had to spoil it for myself because I figured out that it was based on a true story kind of like that free solo documentary about that that guy that climbs mountains without any equipment and I was like I don't want to I don't want to see this guy fall and I don't want to see a little girl die I have to look this up so that was one of the things so this movie came out in 2018 okay and you know without getting too like political and stuff that was kind of a time when like shit was just crazy like just in the world in the country shit was just crazy and sort of like nothing was above possibility like like you would hear things in the news like real things that were more bizarre maybe possibly more tragic just more insane than like movies that would have forecasted like dystopian futures and stuff like that so watching this movie i was like oh my god are they gonna do it like it wouldn't have surprised it would have shocked me but it would not have but i was like I don't, I honestly don't know. Like me in, I don't know, say, we'll say 1999, which was an awesome year, you know, Millennium, Backstreet Boys, Y2K hysteria, all kinds of cool, fun stuff. I would have said, no way, she's going to get out of this alive. Maybe there'll even be some like comedic twist at the end. No. In 2018, completely different vibe. I was just like, fuck, this might happen. And we've been kind of coy with directly stating what the premise of the movie is, but it's basically, I mean, it's literally a two-year-old girl left by herself because her mother has committed suicide and her father is away on a business trip. And the movie takes place over, I think it's like a total of 24 hours-ish, we'll say, because we'll get into the the sequence of events, but 24 hours-ish of literally just her running around this apartment and doing things and doing things that if, and this is one of the things that I wanted to bring up. None of us have kids. So we can empathize sort of with this level of terror, like to a certain point. But I imagine like watching this movie as a parent, it either goes one of two ways. It's either like the scariest shit you've ever seen, or it's kind of like, Maybe you've seen your own kid get into breaking bones or like the the like trouble that kids get into and you're kind of not desensitized to it, but you're like, yeah, this is, you know, this is accurate. This this scary, but you know, I've seen worse or something like that. And the fact that none of us have kids didn't really dawn on me until like a day or two ago. Do you think watching it as kind of just like an adult without any kids like framed it differently for you guys? Well, I think I do want to point out that above anything else, like we're going to spoil the movie in this episode. So definitely check out the movie if you want to experience it to the fullest because watching it the third time, knowing everything that happened, like the movie took on a whole different slant. I was observing a two-year-old in this environment instead of absolutely dreading what was going to happen. Right. 
So definitely this is one, like, don't listen to this episode of Second Chance Cinema and be like, let me see what they say. And if I want to check it out, like, check out the movie if you're interested, or we're just going to spoil the visceral feeling that you're going to get from viewing this. I, you know, yeah, you're right. Like, I, I think because I don't have kids myself, but in the same instance as an uncle, you know, like, I looked at this from a babysitter's point of view, mm-hmm. like, you know, somebody that would be watching the child. The news stories that always give me such drop of the heart is when you hear those stories about like, oh, this kid choked when the sitter was watching them, you know, like, or Mm -hmm. anything that happens while a sitter is watching. I'm like, oh my gosh, if I was in that sitter's position, like, I don't know how, like, if you, if a child that you were supposed to, even as I'm an educator, I have one, like, really a student that is kind of macabre and like likes to be like would you be sad if i would you come to my funeral and i always tell her i was like i think i would quit i think i would quit if i lost one of you guys because i would not want to like form a bond with anything else so it's definitely one of those like watcher feelings because you immediately fall in love with pihu right Mm -hmm. like she's the cutest little girl Mm -hmm. and then suddenly you're like oh my gosh i don't know if i want to be in the room if something bad happens to this little girl Mm-hmm. So it's a good point. I, have, of, I mean, yeah. I have a two year old nephew, also almost two month old nephew. And it's not it's certainly not the same experience as I'm, I'm sure if I were a parent, but like, I don't know, it's just it's just you're right, you you this little girl is so incredible. And it, and I don't know how like, I mean, I don't I don't know, you could say that she's like making conscious choices to be adorable and like to to do the things that she's doing just only because she's two years old, but she makes you instantly you're connected through her to whatever little kid, you know, or whatever, you know, as many little kids as you know, you're just placing them in her shoes. And you're just like, Oh, my God, what is happening? Lee, what do you think about watching it as as a stud with no progeny? Uh, well, you know, there was a time where I was really hard up for cash and I was kind of bouncing between the blood bank and the sperm bank and just, you know, taking the the handful of cash. So there might be there might be some little Lees out there. Who knows? So that said, can you um, <laughs> comment on how you might feel if any of your uh, sperm bank children were placed in this situation? I, th- I think it's, this is a good, th- this movie, you should show this movie as a test to see if someone has psychopathy or um, sociopathic tendencies. Because if you watch this movie and feel nothing, there might be something wrong with you. I think it's just a natural human tendency to want to step in and help a little version of your species. There, there's a very like um, maternal slash paternal instinct that just kind of comes over like it's like those scenes in movies where a complete stranger, like a kid's ball runs, rolls into the street, the kid goes and chases it. And then the complete stranger just out of instinct runs and saves the kid. And that's like impetus for the plot of the movie moving forward or whatever. That's what you want to do with this movie. You want to run in to the screen and save this little girl from every choice that she makes. So let's bring a little levity back here to the show with our uh, longest standing tradition, the Wheel of Poetry. The Wheel of Poetry is a randomized wheel that contains, what are we up to now? Six different forms of poetry slash written expression. And what we're going to do is we're going to spin it. We're going to land on one. We're going to play the trailer for the movie. And while we play the trailer, each of us has to come up with a submission, if you will, based on what the wheel gives us. So to review, the different types of poetry we have are haiku, limerick, ABAB poem, toast slash roast, which that would be fucked up if we got that one. Um, (laughs) Song parody and acrostic. 
Did I leave any out? I don't think so. No, that was it. All right. So we're going to go ahead and we're going to spin the wheel and we're going to see what we land on. Oh, you had it ready. Nice. Hold on. My, my wheel's still going. My wheel wasn't synced up with your wheel. Okay. <laughs> this is one we haven't had in a while. Mm. Song parody. Mm. So imagine Weird Al watches this movie, <laughs> you know, <laughs> digests for a little bit, and then he has to come back with something for his next album while we listen to the trailer for Pihu. <laughs> Here it is. All right. Holy shit. Did like Tyler just re-traumatize me? I'm almost in fucking tears right now. Like, just listening to that. So, I'm looking out the window. Beautiful fall day. Leaves are all kinds of different colors. Wind is blowing. The leaves look like they're dancing. Listening to that audio, knowing <laughs> what that movie is about. Fuck you for playing that. Man, that was, that was rough. <laughs> that fucking trailer is a horror trailer. <laughs> that was... Just the most atmospheric trailer I've ever heard and heard, only heard. Did you watch it, Spro? Was it? No, I have not. Like, I just, I ripped the sound from okay. YouTube. All right, dude. <sighs> wow. Do you guys need a minute? <laughs> no, I, I don't. Mine's, mine's like very, mine's no, I not. Mean, I mean like a minute to catch your breath and like <laughs> rehumanize, like. No, I actually, um, I was very, very concerned about song parody, but uh, I, I got one. It's might be a little disrespectful, but I got one. So do I, actually, and mine is more educational, I think. So here's my question now with song parody, because 
I think I'm right with, I took a song and I just pretty much changed some of the lyrics to make it work for the movie. Yeah. But it's not like, I wouldn't say it's like Weird Al in depth. No. Right? Like, no, I mean, okay. well, we had all of two minutes, most of, during most of which we were all just traumatized and and <laughs> on the verge of probably like chewing our fingernails to the bone mixed with bawling mixed with just like you know questioning life choices almost at this point so yeah i think we can forgive what you describe as lackluster quality okay of your song parody that said would you like to go first i might yeah okay so this is mr lonely by bobby vinton <laughs> okay <laughs> Fuck. Here we go. Okay. I don't think I've ever hit, hit these notes in my adulthood, so I'm going to try. Lonely, Pew is lonely. She has a mother dead and gone. And now she's lonely, Pew's so lonely. She's reaching for danger with her dad on the phone. That was so good. <laughs> that God. was... God bless you. That was so good. You have social anxiety. (laughs) I mean, with with those notes that you just hit, that like that Kelly Clarkson range you just um, displayed for us, I think that all the cats in the neighborhood are probably headed toward your door. That was amazing. (laughs) You all have some friends. Thank you. That was amazing. All right, I'll go next. Mine's a little more hip hop. All right. Don't touch that. Don't touch that. Don't touch that. Don't touch that. No, no, no. P who stop. My God, what the fuck? Where's your mom? Stay off the balcony. It's too high for you to be. Don't touch that. Nice. So that was part song parody, part PSA. If you just did the don't touch that, I was going to be like, that was really good and minimal. I re- minimalistic. I really well, like it. And then yeah. kept on going. I was like, man, you're a genius. And uh-huh. I disagree, but flattered. <laughs> um, Lee, hit us up. So I did mine to the tune of um, you had me thinking about the late 90s when you were talking about Y2K and uh-huh. stuff. Um, so I did a bare naked ladies. <laughs> okay. I did one. I did one week. Great. Can't wait to hear this. <clears throat> it's been one day since my mommy died. Ate up some pills and now her eyes won't open. Five minutes since the cell phone rang. Daddy's out of town and I burned my fingers. Four hours since I last ate none. Dropped my stuffed animal off of the balcony. That's all I got. <laughs> That was really good too. Wow. <laughs> Who would have thought that like, I, I mean, I don't want to speak for myself, but yours were both excellent. And I think that overall, especially with a guest as a sort of an X factor, that might be the best collection of Wheel of Poetry submissions thus far. That was fun. And maybe we're just kind of giddy after the traumatic trailer. Yeah, maybe we maybe <laughs> we're over maybe we're like oversteering to the other direction. This, is, like, this feels like nine twelve to us, and like we're just we, like like we wow. <laughs> like Too we, far? I don't know, but like I'm thinking like we hydroplane, so we're trying to turn the wheel aggressively the other way. All right, let's talk about it. The story is very simple, beautifully simple, as a matter of fact. There's technically three characters, the mother, the father, and Pihu, the two-year-old girl. Father and mother have an argument, and we're led to believe that it has to do with sort of like he's a businessman, he's never home, there's possibly an affair going on. It's basically minimal. 
in, in the explanation. He leaves on a business trip. The mother basically takes a handful of pills, writes a note, and is gone. And we're left with Pihu in this apartment. This film is set in India. So it's an apartment, like a complex. There are neighbors and things like that. But for the first however long, 45 minutes or so, it's just us and Pihu. And as you can imagine, like... It's funny because I was, I remember teaching a lesson about anarchy as a form of government. And actually, I was really surprised at the maturity of the students like, yeah, no, that probably wouldn't be good because there would be, it would be just dangerous and unsafe and stuff like that. And it kind of goes back to, we started talking like, if I was a little kid and I didn't have any rules, that would be awesome. I would eat candy for breakfast and I would, you know, stay up past my bedtime and stuff. So little girl home alone by herself, two years old. We don't go so much toward the Kevin McAllister mindset. We go more toward the, what's a good survival movie? Because that's basically what this is. It's a survival movie. It's a survival story mixed with a horror story, mixed with drama, mixed with suspense. Because Pihu has very little, you know, means through which to survive on her own. She's two fucking years old. And it's like, it's a Maslow's hierarchy horror story. Maslow's hierarchy of needs is a theory in psychology. It argues that there are five stages of human needs that motivate our behavior. First, there are physiological needs, such as the need to breathe, eat, drink, or sleep. The moment we get enough of that and we feel awake and our bellies are full, we get motivated by the next thing. Now we want safety. We try to earn money, build up resources, and look for shelter that protects us against dangers. Once we are satisfied and feel safe, we have time to think about what we want next. It's a Maslow's hierarchy horror story because she's trying to meet her basic needs. And through that, as she explores like the curiosity, tries to find food, you're reminded of just how present danger is in an everyday situation. You know, we don't have kids. We didn't have to baby a fire our house. But like you always hear those stories about people that are like looking at the sharp corners and, you know, like the cabinets that you got to lock up and everything. And you're like, oh, yeah, like you leave a kid unattended and they're going to get in like F. I leave my cat unattended and it gets into shit. So it's <laughs> like there could be. Oh, my gosh, there could be a Pihu cat movie. You know, if this director can do what he did with a cat, what he did with a two-year-old girl, that would be incredible. Keanu, Keanu too. <laughs> you have to remember too, like imagine trying to, again, not speaking from personal experience, but I would never discount the fact that parenting is a insanely Herculean task. And, and that's just when you're trying to get a kid like to go to bed, know, like, like do, th <laughs> do normal things, right? Like try, imagine getting a kid to act that's two years old and trying to like frame it in a way that makes sense to a two year old kid to go over to the fucking outlet that's sparking and like put your fingers near it, but don't actually touch it. And, and I'm sure that that's not what happened. I'm sure that there was, I'm, that doesn't sound like the safest form of film directing. So I'm sure that's not what happened, but getting a kid to do what you want that kid to do for the sake of drama, like the direction is twofold there because it's directing the scenery, the atmosphere, the script, the cinematography, all that stuff. And it's also directing this actor who can probably not understand most things that you say. Well, and I definitely think that the production of this movie had to be very fluid. It had to be, okay, we 
we got this shot, like, you know, we're not going to get this shot. The story and how everything is evolving and everything had to be, what can we get to happen? And then as you're watching it and you realize, you know, like kids grow up super fast, especially from like two to three is a huge maturation difference. Mm -hmm. You had very minimal time with Myra at two years of age to get your movie done, especially when most of this movie is done during the daytime, right? So Mm -hmm. you don't have the nighttime hours to film or anything like that. So I almost wonder if they worked kind of like backwards or worked laterally, like let's let her do what she would do and then use that as maybe a loose skeleton for some sort of a sequence and then write the story around that kind of yeah like i almost wonder if it's like and i hate to use this comparison but like borat like let's film what we're gonna film and then kind of shoehorn a story into it but however this director did it man it's an accomplishment because again like the feels that you get from this movie are unlike anything i've ever experienced before I can think of maybe like two or three movies that give me genuine, unique feels. And this is one of them. And that's why I've only watched it one time because nope. Now, Spro, you've said you've watched it three times. So the first time, and I think we're well past spoilers here. P who lives, she's fine. She survives and she's basically a hero by the end of the story for doing that. I mentioned that the first time I watched it, my head probably wasn't in a great place. And I was like, holy shit, I would not be surprised if this turns out badly. What was different watching it the second time and the third time for you? So the first time I watched it, it's funny. This is like a daytime horror movie because the first time I watched it was like a year ago and I watched it during the day. Kind of like it sounds like you also Mm -hmm. your one time watching it was during the day. Mm -hmm. This could be terrifying during the day. It doesn't have to be nighttime with the lights off and like, you know, the popcorn bucket and no distractions. Like the first time you watch it is just pure dread. The second time I watched it was a month ago for Spro and Lee and I forgot that she survived. And so I was still feeling that same dread because even her surviving is almost a tag on because the last thing you see of her is her laying on the ground in a pile of pills. Right. And so like we were gearing up for that moment and then that happened and I was like, like, oh my gosh, they did kill her. And then for like that final 30 seconds, you're like, oh no, she's she's just playing house. And then the last time I watched it, and this is why I really wanted to attack on the spoiler, I was looking for the strings and I was like, okay, so this is a tight shot of her trying to get her stuffed animal with her toes. So I can imagine the director being like, all right, just reach, but pretend like you can't grab it or something like that. And so the third time I was watching it, I was dissecting it, kind of like trying to figure out how the director did it. Got it. So the third time watching it, though, it's funny. I was able to embrace how cute Myra is as an actress, Mm -hmm. you know, and like all of her decision makings. And you still had that like, oh, God, I don't like when she's trying to feed her dead mom jam on bread, right? Like there's the dread turns into creepiness of just this. And like when the fly comes in and she's like, mom, fly. Mm -hmm. And it's like, oh, God, mom's rotting. You know, like there's an uneasy, but the dread goes away. So the third time watching it, you're kind of now just a student of the game. Lee, how many times did you watch it? Only the one time. When it comes to horror, I'd rather watch like stuff that's fun, you know, like slasher movies or 
whodunits or this movie, obviously it's completely different, but the final sequence of Texas Chainsaw Massacre where the family is gathered around the table and the one final girl is alive. You guys know the scene I'm talking about? Mm-hmm. She's just screaming the entire time and they're trying to get the decrepit old grandfather to whack her on the head with the mallet. The sustained awfulness of that scene is that same feeling is very thick and syrupy throughout this entire movie. I wonder, so not the final shot, but sort of like, I don't know, like the go home is when Pihu stumbles upon her her mother's sleeping pills and she takes some. It took me completely by surprise because I was expecting something much more abrupt and much more like catastrophic. They tease us with the balcony. They tease us with the outlet and the wires and the microwave and all that kind of stuff. Then you start imagining like what else is in the house? Like there's probably knives in the house. Maybe there's a gun in the house. You think of all these like really aggressive, sudden things that could happen that could be really catastrophic. And then she takes the sleeping pills and I almost was like, angry at myself for not forecasting that in my head, not remembering that they were there and then almost feeling guilty that I didn't like warn her. Pihu, don't touch the outlet. Pihu, don't touch the microwave. I forgot about the sleeping pills. And at the end, she takes the sleeping pills and she goes to sleep. Now, my question, I wonder, and maybe this is just a rabbit hole, but like, what if that was the original ending and people saw it and they were like, uh, no fucking way. And, and then they tagged on at the end, she comes back. I kind of feel like it was a secondary note, you know, like. Because you, you mentioned um, that it was basically just a kind of tag at the end. And it is, I mean. It's woven in very well. I mean, the father earlier in the story, you know, realizes that something's wrong and you assume that he's coming home because he knows something's amiss. But like you said, it's almost an afterthought. Yeah, it is one of those things where like, even when you were talking about the sleeping pills, it reminded me of it was a holiday of some sort and my whole family was gathered together. And then my brother-in-law comes like racing down and he's like, I got to take my youngest nephew, his youngest son to the hospital. And I was like, oh my gosh. I was like, what's happening? And he's like, he just ate half a tube of toothpaste. And I was like, what? (laughs) Uh, And like toothpaste is, you know, in high doses fatal. And so is it, they had, yeah. (laughs) That's not at all where I thought you were going. I thought you were going to be like, grumpy old men when it's like, oh, she swallowed a quarter. Oh, she craps out two dimes and a nickel. Then you should worry. <laughs> like That's where I thought you were no, going. <laughs> you cannot just like sit there and eat toothpaste. And so he had to rush the kid to the hospital and they had to observe him and everything like that. So it was like, what? You know, like it's just one of those instances. Kids, man. <laughs> You know what it reminds me of now that I'm oh, now that we're talking about. No, before go ahead. I forget though, as you were talking, the other movie this kind of like brings up is Final Destination. I was just swear to God, right? I was just gonna say that. I was like, you know what? You know what this reminds me of? All the different ways you can die. Final Destination. Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. Like you're looking at all the mechanisms on the screen, and you're like, oh my God, what next? Like, what am I missing? What is not happening here? I'm so. I am interested with Lee as a, the get like, um, and the one time watching it. How did you think she was gonna die, or did you think she was gonna die? I didn't think she was gonna die, but I also didn't want to. Wa- I didn't want to look because I was like, okay, I, I believe that she's not gonna die, but I don't want to feel the dread between now and and her surviving. So, can I? How about a hot take, real quick, if I may? Go for it. One of the things I like about this movie is that apart from P who's rummaging th- around the the flat, you have this sort of backstory that you get more and more. You know, it, it starts with this this apartment that clearly once had a birthday party in it. The opening titles too are just fucking terrific. The like animation and the the kids like having a birthday party. And stuff. Oh yeah. 
but it's this this flat that is not well it's not well kept clearly there's somebody that's not the adults that live there aren't doing their jobs to clean and stuff and that sort of you see more and more of that when you get into the kitchen and but what i was going to say is you get this backstory between the husband and the wife he who's parents and not to judge fictional characters or if I don't I think this was an add-on for the movie I don't think this actually occurred in real life but to do that and leave behind a child and even in her very chilling suicide note that you see scrawled on the mirror in is it lipstick or is it eyeliner I can't remember or if she just used an expo marker but she even says like I almost took Pihu with me but I didn't have I didn't have the guts I couldn't go through with it it's like but you just left this child completely you put yourself 100% before this kid and now you've left this child alone I mean, I guess maybe she thought the kid would be okay. I mean, she knew her husband was was leaving to go out of town. They, you know, you find out that they had an argument about it in the morning when the husband's like, you were supposed to iron my shit. And that's a whole other conversation we could have. But yeah, it's just when you have the responsibility of, of a child and you leave him behind, man, I, whew, uh, that's fucked up. Yeah, but thank God she didn't take Pihu with her. Now I, would be a great time to uh, <laughs> talk about our sponsor, Expo Markers, which are great for... <laughs> All, all sorts of all sorts of things. This back to school, give your child's teacher a colorful classroom essential. That's her most preferred brand in dry erase. In the classroom and at home. Visit us on Facebook for $2 off your next purchase of two Expo marker packs. And give a pack of Expo markers to all the teachers in your life. I do think it was lipstick though, because I think Pihu after like finds the lipstick open and then she puts it on her face. That's right. Yeah, right. But the other weird thing about the suicide note and the movie in general, the inclusion of English every once in a while just like pops out. Like there are lines that were subtitled that the father was saying that I was like, he just said that in English. That wasn't in um Hindi. Hindi, thank you. Mm-hmm. And the last word of the suicide note on the mirror was goodbye in English. So I was like, huh, I wonder why. There's a couple of other films from India on Netflix, like Lagan and Three Idiots. And I would say it's like 80% Hindi and 20% English. So it's like the Western influence going over there. But I don't know if they include that because that's part of everyday culture or they include that because they know American people by and large are not bilingual and throwing in a little bit of English kind of opens up your marketability a little bit better. I mean, I'm not, I'm certainly not familiar with the conventions of the Hindi language or Indian culture enough to comment on that intelligently. But I mean, that didn't even cross my mind when I was watching it. I was too busy just like being (laughs) terrified. And as a society, if they know that there's a girl crying in the apartment all by herself, like where are the neighbors? Like the woman is screaming from the balcony. Where's security? Somebody get that child and nobody comes. Nobody like busts down the door until dad comes back from Caracas or whatever, wherever he went. That dad was in the back of a taxi cab trying to figure it all out. But I mean, on another point, that dad's a fucking asshole. (laughs) Like you see the bruises on the mother's wrist. Like he who is now stuck with a guy that beats the people that he loves. It's just such a heavy, heavy load. This movie, like 
all the things that you mentioned are all set in motion by just terrible things, really. And, you know, judging or not judging, it's a fact that they're terrible things. And ultimately, they're the genesis of this hour and a half journey of this this little girl who just like... I don't know. She's she, at this point in my mind, she's kind of like a folk hero. <laughs> like she's she's up there with Paul Bunyan and shit in my mind. Like she's she she survived and and I don't know. I mean, this is this is how like mush my brain is thinking about this movie. Like, and I knew the discussion was going to be much different than than you know, son in law, for example. But it's just really really hard to wrap your head around the possibilities and like the multiverse of this movie in which there could have been different outcomes at really any point in the film. The popping of the balloons randomly throughout the apartment was a good atmosphere. Yeah, it was a nice choice. Yeah. Like I didn't mean to de- I didn't mean to derail everything with my <laughs> I just uh, hey no you, you know this is why we're here Lee is to talk about how the movie made us feel and what it made us think about. I mean for me it just was one of those things like I said it was an experience. Like it was almost it was the exact opposite but almost the same thing as going to see Avengers Endgame. <laughs> like it was an experience. It was more than a movie. Endgame was like 10 years of payoff just like it was an experience, the whole world involved in that entire experience of of that saga. This was a also an experience, a little bit different, kind of a different vibe, but one I will also never forget. I don't know how necessarily it would feel to sit in a crowded theater watching Pihu. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I was sad when Tony Stark died in Endgame. I was prepared to be devastated by this movie. <laughs> It is an off the rails movie and it is it is one that if you've got the balls to watch more than once and I suppose watching it again knowing that she's going to be okay can certainly alleviate some of the pressure but still like I have no desire to watch it again you know it's one of those things where if like you will never see another movie like this movie I don't think at least I haven't and I've not heard anyone who has so um, no, and if we're talking like second chance, like this movie has made less than a million dollars. Like to oh, break it all down, been, if you think about, it, n- none of us probably would have heard of this movie had it not been for my wife's boring Saturday morning. Like, <laughs> right? So that's that's that shows you just how this might be the most under the radar movie we've talked about, and you know that can be a combination of different things. Maybe just because anyone who saw it was so traumatized they didn't want to talk about it, you know. Obviously, because it's a foreign language film, it's probably not got the mass appeal of the stuff that Netflix puts on their front page. But yeah, we really did stumble upon this one. So the budget was 50 locks, which is $60,666.15. And the box office it made was 29.5 million Indian rupees, which comes out to $357,938.28. So it made $350,000. And it was only, I mean, it wasn't released, like I didn't see it on the marquee up at the promenade. So I don't think that it was released anywhere, wide release around here. So yeah, no, I think it was just a festival, darling. Okay. I mean, the the ratings are 6.7 on IMDb, 83% of Google people liked it, 70% of the, well, 70% of the Rotten Tomatoes critic scores, there's only 10 reviews. So seven critics liked it, three didn't. And the three Rotten reviews both had this kind of like the same adjectives in them. 
The one says a silly, sadistic, and torturous experience. That person, I feel agreed. like, was traumatized. I mean, agreed, <laughs> but 100% agreed, but that's why it was amazing. The second review was, it feels sadistic and unnecessary. Oh, okay. And then the third one was, the script is so visibly manipulative that it's difficult to stay invested. See, I read that, I think, on Wikipedia. There was like an excerpt from that review, and it said manipulative. And I might have talked about this when we did Spro and Lee, but isn't that a director's job? That, and I don't think the script, like, we were just talking about it for like probably 10 minutes at the beginning of the episode. The script had to be fluid. Like, the script isn't, manip- you know, like... They might have been like, all right, here's everything that we could do in this apartment. But you still got to get the two-year-old to somehow figure, you know, like have her do it. So I don't think like I would be really interested in seeing the script and how it's all devised because I feel like the script is just an outline of like, here's what we're going to try and pull off with this. With the father's phone conversations written in and that's it. Yeah, that to me, like the father's phone conversations were like probably the most that you get out of it. And like I said before, that father is not, you know, some of the stuff that he says, like, what was it like? Every woman is the bane of man's existence or something. Yeah, he's a piece of of shit. I think we can agree. I think we can agree on that. But he's also like the person that you're like, that's a piece of shit. I need that person to save her. (laughs) You know, like that's the feeling that you're getting from like the conflicting feeling of like the father. You brought up the neighbor too. I thought I, I genuinely was like, okay, well now somebody knows because you have the scene of her looking underneath the door at one point and she's cooing and making sounds, but nobody can hear her. But when the neighbor saw, I'm like, okay, so here is her deliverance. This neighbor is going to do something, come over. And doesn't somebody come and knock on the door after that? There, I think uh, uh, from what or I remember- delivery person or something. Yeah, don't, don't like all the neighbors, like there's, because she turns on the hot water heater or she like unplugs it. So there, so there's gas or something like that. And there's a- it's not like a like a Michael Bay explosion, but there's a boom that kind of alerts the apartment complex, right? And is, don't they all kind of like come over at the end? I feel like I remember when the father comes home, there are multiple bogeys on like that, that come in and and yeah, the, like are you the okay? neighbors enter with dad? But I right, feel like right, that's right. so it's one of those things of like one of those like societal tales of like oh, it's not my problem unless there's somebody leading the charge. They come in with dad, but seriously, if you know that there's a child alone in an apartment and smoke is emanating from it, maybe you should like, like why didn't they break not wait for dad what, to come what, home yeah. with the key? Like why didn't they break the door down kind of thing? Yeah. I mean <clears throat> fuck. I want to stop talking about this movie. <laughs> okay. Bro, final thoughts on on Pihu? Let me see if I have any notes. Lee. Do you have any notes? When we were talking about this for an award, I was and MC said direction. My mind immediately went to the microwave shot, which I just would like to see how that was done. I'd like to see them disassembling the back of a microwave so that they can get a camera in there. Or maybe they didn't. Obviously, that microwave wasn't working, but, you know, because uh, it would be ruining the the camera, wouldn't it? I, 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 that, that shot, that's one of those like Stanley Kubrick, the shining shots where I'm like, how did they fucking do that? There's some really cool, some really cool imagery rather camera work in this movie that I enjoyed. The other film that the director did and was known for, Vinod Capri, has an interesting title called Can't Take This Shit Anymore. 
and it was a 2014 Indian documentary film. And I was like, huh, that sounds funny. Is that a but documentary film- about me watching Pihu like toward the end? <laughs> Isn't that, that's how I felt. Well, it received the National Film Award for Best Film on Social Issues at the 62nd National Film Awards. And the National Film Awards are the uh, Indian Academy Awards. But the film tells the stark tale of the daily lives of women, the indignity and dangers they face while defecating out in the open. Wow, that took a turn yeah. yes right what <laughs> <laughs> so that movie is about um a handful of women that decide to go against societal norms because you know and move back home with their parents as you're not supposed to i guess in the culture because they cannot take defecating in the open anymore because who they married or the lives that they led had led them to not having restrooms of their own. So they move home. And so the documentary film is all about how society is now viewing them because they won't defecate in the open. But when they defecate in the open, they are, it's kind of like, you know, gazelles at a watering hole. They're leaving themselves open for being attacked and ridiculed in other ways. That is the (laughs) most specific movie I have ever heard of I believe I oppress my American wife here in uh, in my home because she likes to also defecate in the open she poops <laughs> she poops with the door open and I'm like dude <laughs> that is your private time she's gonna fucking kill me for saying this <laughs> there's a little levity for you let's 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 come to a hard stop on that I think because because I think we've we've uh, this has been an emotional roller coaster. The likes of which no Second Chance Cinema episode has ever been before. All that to say, if you're feeling brave and you're feeling intrigued, Pihu is definitely worth a check. Again, it's one of those rare movies that kind of like is not like any other. I remember when The Blair Witch came out, it was like, I've never seen this before. And feeling this same kind of same kind of thing with this movie. You know, there have certainly been, I think there's been like six Home Alones. None of them have been as um, emotionally exhausting as Pihu, despite the premise. I would have loved for the Wet Bandits to show up at the end of this movie and um, just kind of take the edge off, but alas. You know, you wanted a great cat burglars of the world, Mav. <laughs> you think you could keep it down? <laughs> All right. <laughs> Well, I hope you guys have a great rest of the day. I really do. I hope you guys have a fantastic afternoon, just filled with good things, because um, we got into some heavy shit this episode. I don't know. We've done final thoughts. I think I think we can all just say that when it comes to under-the-radar movies that you should watch, or that under-the-radar movies that will leave a mark, maybe is a better way to put it, Pihu is up there with the best of them. So, for Second Chance Cinema, be sure to check us out on social. Let us know what you think. Comments, suggestions, critiques. You can send us probably hate mail now if you decide to watch the movie and, and, and are like, what did you guys get me into? We love all of it. And again, we'd like to thank our sponsor, Expo Markers. For Second Chance Cinema, I am MC. I'm Spro. And I'm Lee Charles. Thank you for having me. Special guest, always welcome. We will um, catch you guys next time. Go do something fun.
Thank you for listening to this episode of Second Chance Cinema. If you have any comments, questions, corrections, or would like to recommend a movie for a future show, you could reach us at secondchancecinema at gmail.com. That's 2ndchancecinema at gmail.com. We have a Second Chance Cinema Facebook group. You could find us on Twitter at MCN's Pro or check us out on Instagram at 2ndchancecinema. To help our little show out, please tell your friends about us. Leave a review wherever you listen and be sure to subscribe and download each episode you listen to as those simple steps makes us much more visible in the universe, which makes these fine secret cinematic masterpieces more visible. And isn't that really the whole point? Now go on and have a beautiful day, you wonderful person, you. And if it's not a beautiful day outside, stay in and rediscover a gem from the past.